Uh, Pastor Brian has been a good friend of mine for a few years now. I met him as a church planter, and um, he's done a lot of things. He's kind of a renaissance man. So he teaches at Biola University on beauty of spirituality, and get this, guys, the theology of heroes and villains. So I want to go to his class, best class ever. And then also he started a ministry called Creativity Catalyst, and they're just getting started, but really excited to see how he's going to look at art and theology and help people express that as well. He's also a private Win Chung uh, instructor. So he has a studio. If you ever watch Ip Man, that's Brian. Um, and also, uh, they foster adopted Josiah 10 months ago, and uh, he's been married 17 years. And so really excited to have his family here with us as well. So would you welcome him up as he shares the word of God with us? Thanks, Wilson. Great. Good morning. What's up, Renew? It's good to be here with you guys. And man, I'm not that tall. Um, so I'm going to adjust this a little bit. You can see me. Well, it's good to be here. I was really excited when um, my brother Wilson here um, invited me to come and um, be able to speak at Renew Church. He's told me so much about his church planting journey and what's developed here, what God's been doing here, and the, the faith community that you guys have all be- become. So it's neat for me to see this firsthand because I know it's been quite a process and quite a faith journey for Wilson. And um, um, it's, it's no... Um, overstatement to, to say that this truly is, I think, an act of God, that you guys all being here in the presence of Renew Church really is a miracle and part of the faithfulness of your pastor, Wilson. And um, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that just to try to, you know, beef him up or anything, because he's, he's pretty beefy already by, all by himself. So <laughs> but I'm excited to be here. And he asked me to speak on a passage I am so excited about. When, once he told me the, the verse, I said, I'm totally passionate about this, just these two verses, okay? Um, because it deals with something that um, I'm really passionate about, that God has really laid upon my heart unexpectedly as I've been a minister. I never thought I would go into the area of a step and faith and theology, but that's really been a big part of my ministry over the years since I've been in seminary. Um, what, what we like to, what I like to explore is what people find attractive, you know, and, and I start with an example that I think that most people can identify with and can, and can understand. Uh, one of the things I think a lot of people find attractive is the British accent, Right, anybody? Okay. When you hear that British accent or that English accent, it just sounds so sophisticated. It's sort of suave. You can just listen to it all day long. It sounds romantic. It makes your heart melt. You think of Patrick Stewart. You think of Sean Connery. You think of, you know, I don't know, even the Australian accent sounds really, really just silky. You know, and it's just, it's just so hot, exactly. You know, and I, I can't imitate it, so I won't even try to imitate it because I'll butcher it. And I remember an experience that I had in college. I, I went to UC Davis, and um, yeah, Aggies. Um, and at UC Davis, I was a psychology major, and it was in my personality theory class. There I am sitting there in this big class of about 100 students, and there's this girl there's always a girl, okay? There's this girl, an Asian girl, and if my wife were here, she'd be laughing because she always says, says, I knew every Asian girl on campus. Well, I didn't know this one, okay? So there's this Asian girl sitting next to me, and she's talking to her friend on the other side of her. And, it, and, I am, and I, I'm hearing her talk, I'm hearing her voice, and she has this British accent, and I'm just drawn to it like a mosquito to light. And I'm like, 
wow. Her, her voice, just listening to her talk, just sounds like, like hot butter, you know? And, and I, saw, I, I said to her, I said, excuse me, hi. You know, and so I, I, interrupt, yeah, I interrupt her. So she, she turns to me, and I said, I really like your accent. And then she turns away and keeps talking to her friend. She doesn't say anything to me. I think she probably thought I was a little bit of a weirdo. But the question I've always kind of had was, this is what's always mind-boggling to me. Now, why is it that when you get a really good, deep, thick, authentic Chinese accent, people don't generally find that very attractive? You know, usually people make fun of that. You know, it's like when you see it in film or television, it's kind of, a, 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 kind of like a joke, you know? Uh, and this is usually where I do my impersonation. Wasn't that, it, I, you know, I grew, I'm Chinese. I, so it's kind of authentic. Not really, because I don't have an authentic real accent. But why isn't that Cantonese accents aren't, they don't have that same level of, of attractiveness, you know? <laughs> it, it seems unfair, right? Some people are, they just, they, they're kind of, they born with an English accent or they just grow up with an English accent. Others grow up with a Cantonese accent. And it just, you don't, you don't melt people's hearts. You don't sound like hot butter that way. Why is that? Well, you know, attraction is a very powerful force, right? It's like a gravitational pull in our society. It draws you to something. We experience attraction on a daily basis. So we make choices based on what we're attracted to. Right? You choose what you're attracted to. You stay away from things that you're not attracted to. Um, it's part of our human experiences. And a big part of it is, and this is a, a wonderful thing, is God made us to be human beings with the capacity to experience attraction. That's part of our capacity. That's part of our design. It's not something that's fabricated in society. It's built into us to experience attraction. We are prone towards attraction. Uh, imagine if you, weren't a, if you didn't have this capacity to be attracted to anything. Uh, you, know, you, you could survive. You could be functional. You could be pragmatic. But life would seem to lose its luster, that richness. That, that comes with experiencing something that's attractive. And we talk about things that are attractive. The, the object of attraction could be anything. It could be people, it could be things, it could be a car, it could be environment, it could be a certain lifestyle, it could be your image of what a family is like. It could be an ideology, something that's intangible, right? A notion or a ph philosophical concept could be attractive to you. So anything from eyeshadow to clothing to working out at the gym uh, to having certain a certain kind of house or car, to having a certain kind of family, to your vision of, of what is an attractive person. Uh, all of these things are objects of attraction that can motivate action and choices because you choose what attracts you and you generally stay away from the things and you, or you don't choose the things that don't attract you. And because attraction is a powerful mover, it's a powerful motivation that moves people and moves society, Understanding the basis for attraction is very important. It becomes crucial. Well, in order to understand what attracts you, we have to understand what we find beautiful. What do we find beautiful? St. Augustine wrote in, a, in Confessions, I used to ask my friends, do we love anything unless it is beautiful? What then is beauty and in what does it consist? What is it that attracts us and wins us over to the things we love? Unless there were beauty and grace in them, they would be powerless to win our hearts. And that was Augustine's theological understanding that beauty evokes love in us. 
beauty evokes a desire in us. The challenge today is trying to figure out why people find certain things attractive, especially in a consumeristic society. That's a big question that people want to answer. Scientists can actually look in the brain and see activity taking place in the frontal cortex when a person is experiencing something attractive but they just can't seem to answer or figure out why they find that attractive. Society favors people who it finds beautiful or attractive, right? Um, I was crossing a street in Hollywood, this major street, and uh, there was a, one of my neighbors who lives, a, on, not neighbor as in like next door to me, but across the street in this complex. I recognize him, don't really know him, but he was across the street, and I'm trying to cross from one side to get to where he's at. He's talking to a friend in this car, and he's standing on the street, just kind of leaning over into the, to the door and talking to his friend. Then there's this girl in workout clothes, comes jogging along, and she's trying to cross the street, going in the opposite direction I'm going in. I see him notice her, and he checks her out a little bit. Cars are whizzing by. He gets out into the middle of the street, goes like this to the car, and then there's a line of three cars piled up that way. And he goes like this to the other side. He stops the traffic, and he goes like this to the girl. The girl looks kind of embarrassed and a little shy, so she starts crossing the street, and I'm standing there thinking, should I cross too? It wasn't meant for me. <laughs> but I don't cross, because <laughs> I just felt like that wasn't meant for me. <laughs> so let's pray together as we open into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for how much um, you love us enough to want to take us through your word. Uh, to illuminate your truths to us. And we pray, Father, as we come here on the Sabbath day, that you would work in our hearts, that you would illumine our minds and allow your word to be the chisel that fashions and shapes our souls to become more Christ-like and to be drawn greater, more into a greater uh, extent towards you. We thank you, God, for your glory, uh, that we can be in the presence of it by your grace. We thank you, Father God, for your presence that meets us here this morning. And we pray, God, that you would lead us, be our counselor, and be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We look in Philippians chapter 4, and it's just two verses that Wilson gave me to preach on. No more. Two verses. Chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And these are two just very impactful and powerful verses. Um, it reads in verse 8, Finally, so Paul is getting to the end, the conclusion of an argument as he says, finally. And he wants to culminate it and summarize it and land with this point and notion. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What Paul gives us initially is the six defining essentials for beauty. These are words that are couched in aesthetic language. And the very first um, of the qualities he gives us, the first of the six, is extremely important. It's fundamental and foundational. It's understood back then by even the classical Greek philosophers as well as the early church theologians and the medieval church theologians that truth was a fundamental quality of beauty. That truth was a foundational aspect of beauty, and oftentimes nowadays when we talk or think about beauty in our contemporary culture, we rarely ever think about something like truth being a notion or a quality of beauty. 
but it is a debatable and controversial issue in our postmodern day where the postmodernists ask, what is truth? Or if there really even is such a thing as truth. But the truth that the Bible refers to is the objective reality that's not just a relative or subjective notion. It is an objective reality according to God, something that even the great thinkers clung to. And this notion of truth was so essential, and the reason for it is because at the most basic level of our human existence, what we desire most is truth. What we despise the most, disdain the most, is a lie deception and being deceived imagine if if someone you knew was always lying to you and you never knew any if anything that that person said could be true no one wants to be led astray or led away to being by a lie i remember watching the the bachelor uh one season don't ask me why i watched the bachelor uh, but i watched it for four seasons and this was the last season and i remember there's this one season and you know the premise of it right there you start off with 25 women and wheedle it down to two women and you're supposed to propose to one of them which is completely ridiculous right okay so there's so the guy comes down boils down to two girls and he proposes to one of them and then the, then they go three months in silence right well, during that three months, he starts talking to the other girl that he didn't propose to. And then on the show, on national television, he has to tell the girl that he did propose to that he's been talking to the other girl and he no longer really wants to marry the girl that he initially proposed to. Imagine if someone proposed to you and said, here's a ring, here's a rose, because <laughs> it's a rose ceremony, and I would like to marry you. And then two months later, no, not really. I don't really want to marry you. I've been talking to some other girl. No one likes being lied to. No one likes being told something that is not true because lies generally lead to destructive ends. Lies generally lead to deterioration. It generally leads to chaos. No one likes misinformation or misdirection. So the base level, what we desire most is truth. And what, like Jesus said, truth sets us free, right? Jesus' truth sets us free. Freedom comes from truth. Illumination comes from truth. Goodness comes from truth. Truth is a builder of life and of a good life, of a flourishing life. In our day and age of, of superheroes, and if you're not up with the superheroes, you got to get on that, all right? Because there's a lot of them out there now. You know, all the Avengers movies, DC movies, all that stuff, you got to get with it, okay? So Civil War, Captain America's coming up, all right? But in the first movie with the Avengers, you know, you guess familiar with the Avengers? If you're not with that, you gotta get with that too, okay? You know, read your Bible, go watch the Avengers, okay? So with the Avengers, you have different characters, right? And they're all different, not just different by their powers and abilities they have, but they're different in character and what they embrace and embody. And if there's one character that represented truth, who would that be? Captain America, thank you. Pastor Wilson is on target. You have a good pastor here, right? He's on point. Right? Captain America is the one who represents truth because he always does what is according to the overall principles and notions and universal truths. He always does what is right. He, does, he acts because this is the truth. He acts because this is the principle. Here's a case, an example. If you haven't seen this movie yet, you got to watch it, okay? Avengers number one, all right? This is an old movie, all right? So hopefully I'm not spoiling for anybody. They're in an airplane. They've got the bad guy in the airplane. Thor, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go watch the movie. Thor comes flying in, steals the bad guy out of the airplane. Iron Man jumps out of the airplane and flies after Thor, right? They all can fly, but Captain America can't. Captain America has to take time to strap on a parachute, 
Okay, he's putting on a parachute, and as he's doing so, as he's getting dressed up, uh, Black Widow says, Cap, I wouldn't go out there if I were you. These guys are like legends. They're, they're basically like gods. And then Captain America says, what? As he has on his parachute, and he's standing there at the, the back end of the paling, ready to jump, he says, ma'am, there's only one god in this universe, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> <laughs> so Captain America has some theological truth to him. And then what does he do? He jumps out of the airplane with this parachute. You know, and he's parachuting down while the others are flying. He's parachuting down. And then what happens once he gets down there while Iron Man and Thor are fighting, you know, epic battle scene between Iron Man and Thor. But when Captain America shows up, basically the fight ends, right? Captain America's a peacemaker. Right? He's a guy who acts and responds to truth. He acts based upon truth. And that's one of the main reasons why America, Captain America was invented like in the, he's, he's, he's a geriatric. He's invented in the 50s, right? So he's a real elderly guy. But that's one of the reasons why for decades he's been found to be beautiful. It's because of not just his strength, because he's tall, blonde, muscular, with lots of pecs, but it's because he is a representation of truth. He embraces and acts upon truth. The next three qualities that Paul gives to us is honorable, just, and pure, uh, which are translated honorable as can you think of a person whom you think their character is so honorable that it, it, it's just the, the purity, the wholeness of their character, the, the extent of their character, the things that they do, the, the extent of their compassion is so honorable that it earns your respect. A person with honor can you think of a person who is that honorable? And the word just is the same word as right or righteousness. Uh, someone who always does what is right. But not just doing what is right as in the abstinence of doing what is wrong, but doing what is right in accordance to things like the acts of mercy, like acts of, of, of helping those who are helpless. is not just the avoidance of sin, but is actually embracing of doing what is right. And then there's pure. Pure is the purity, uh, the aspect of cleanliness, of morality. And all three of these kind of fall under the umbrella of what is known to be God's attribute of righteousness. A genuinely righteous person is a person who carries him her or herself in such a way that you would find honorable. You ever hear that phrase when people use with each other, uh, he's a good man, or she's a good woman, or that's a good person. It's that notion of honorable. Um, you ever think of someone who is uh, completely right and just, someone who always does the right thing. You never have to worry about this person taking advantage of you. Uh, you never have to worry about this person hurting you. You think of people who are pure, people who uphold purity. Even when no one is looking, they still are acting in purity because that's their character. And it's no wonder why in a lot of our music, movies, literature, art, and clothing um, aspects that even these three terminologies, these three qualities can be applied to everything that we encounter. When I think about those who are truly this beautiful, who embrace these three qualities, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much our society um, really thinks about uh, these three qualities as qualities of beauty. Um, but I think of like Mother Teresa, you know. Um, when you Google beauty, uh, you don't generally get, a, Mother Teresa might come up, but not a whole lot, right? You get a lot of Kim Kardashians, and then after that is Khloe Kardashian, <laughs> and then you get some Jennifer Aniston's. Um, but those are the, the, the images, the figures of those that society considers to be beautiful. 
But when you think of Mother Teresa, she's no Kim Kardashian. She doesn't have the perfect skin or, or the nice curviness that society seems to prefer. But the world has seen her to be a beautiful person. Her actions were honorable. Her actions were righteous. She was seen to be pure. And, and as a figure, as an icon of beauty, in such a way that manifests these three qualities that Paul talks about. Doing the right things, and not only by the absence of wrong, but actually embracing the right, is, an, is a quality of beauty. And finally, the last two that Paul notes here is lovely and admirable or commendable. Uh, by lovely, it is the notion that, um, that it's something that you find pleasure or delight in being around. You ever meet folks that um, you just love hanging around them? Like you could just sit with them and have boba milk tea for hours. You can have coffee with them for hours. Just have grab a cappuccino with for hours. And there's something about their presence that is life-giving. You just soak it in. You savor it, right? And that kind of a person is beautiful because there's something about that person that contributes to your soul. Uh, then the quality of admirable or commendable has to do with the quality of integrity or wholeness or that, that aspect of the person where because of how wonderful they are, they inspire you to be a better person. That's admirable. It's something that you would want to be compelled by or convicted by that when you meet with this person, you want to go and read your Bible more. You want to go and pray more. You want to be a better person, a more compassionate person. That is admirable, that kind of quality. And I think of real life heroes, and those people might be your mother, your father, could be your, your mentors or your discipler. And I think of real life heroes, I think of my mentor, Tom Garrishay whom I go out to visit about once every two years in Arizona. I just spend a week with him. My wife and I go out there and meet with him and his wife. And I, just, I don't have really a plan or a motive to go out there other than to, to sit there and to soak him in. You know, he's this retired pastor in his mid-60s, and I just love being with him there out in his cabin. And it's this, the, the, the folks that exhibit that level of wholeness and integrity, the, the folks that you feel are life-giving and compelling, those are the folks that the Bible considers to be beautiful. Now, these six essential qualities, and as Paul runs through them, he says, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, and he finally concludes with two more terms. He says it, it arrives at a climax. The climax is that if there is any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, excellence and praiseworthy are the two summary terms that are the capstones for the six qualities, and it summarizes it in this way, that excellence means something that is genuinely, truly good. And in other classical thinkers, the notion of good meant something that was flourishing. Now, you know the distinction between surviving and thriving, right? Surviving is like, like fried rice. You got your, your carbs, you got your, your meats, you got your veggies, everything you need to survive. You just eat fried rice for the rest of your life, and you're, you're fine. But thriving is like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. You know, it's juicy. I mean, there's just luster and abundance and fullness to it. There's a difference between surviving and thriving. And the excellence, the good, is far beyond what is simply adequate. It is flourishing. It is good, thriving. Then praiseworthy, Paul says. Praiseworthy is when you encounter something beautiful and you don't enjoy the thing simply for itself. Because praiseworthy means that it's a beauty that evokes you to give praise to God. It is, evokes you to look beyond the thing of beauty. St. Augustine in Confessions, he wrote, even though the soul of man clings to things of beauty, if their beauty is outside God and outside the soul, it only clings to sorrow. 
Yet these things of beauty would not exist at all unless they came from God. You see, Augustine and Paul captures this in this notion that beauty's end goal is not the thing in itself, but the beauty's end goal points to the beauty of God. It's the glory of God that is the end. When what you find and consider to be attractive, does it lead you to God? What you find to be beautiful, does it lead your thoughts to God? Does it lead your relationship uh, with God to be greater? And what Paul and Augustine say is that the, the radical notion of how we understand beauty, because all things beautiful within this world are connected back to the beauty of God, the source of beauty is God himself. That God's own character and who he is is a defining notion for beauty. So what informs you of what is beautiful is not just your fleshly desires. It's not just consumerism or social trends or popularity or what others say beauty is, but what can inform you about what is beautiful is God's character and his nature. And that the ultimate end of experiencing beauty is that you might experience some element or some morsel of God's beauty. And here's another radical notion. See, Paul says, uses his word whatever repeatedly, whatever, whatever. And usually we get really annoyed when people use the word whatever to us, right? Because we find that sometimes disrespectful and we're like, we don't know what that means. Like when you say something or you ask a question, they say whatever. You know, what does that mean? Well, whatever. <laughs> you know? But Paul actually has a very deep theological notion when he uses the word whatever because he is encompassing all the spheres of society of nature, of creation, whatever, okay, means that beauty is not only found in Christian music, Christian movies, and Christian t-shirts, and Christian socks. It is found in all secular places as well, too, so that the list of six qualities is not just a way of filtering out what is ungodly. It is a way of discovering what is godly within culture and creation, so that when you read a novel, when you watch a film, when you listen to a jazz performance at a club, if you are allowed to do that, I don't know, um, if you go to, uh, uh, to, to a movie, if you're reading science fiction or fantasy novels, finding any of these six qualities of beauty is a guide and a paradigm for us to know how to recognize when there is godly beauty present and to experience that. So what do we do with this, though, when we find this beauty? Was this is step one in our journey. After Paul has defined for us what truly is beautiful and what we should be attracted to, he says step one is this. He says, think about these things. Now, that seems kind of like, what, that's it? You know, just think about it? You don't have to put on some makeup or anything like that? Just think about it. You know, and the word in the Greek is to dwell. To dwell on something is to soak in it, to bury yourself in it, to immerse yourself in it. The first step is immersion. How often do you immerse yourself into godly beauty? See, it does something for your soul. It enriches your soul. It reminds you of how rich and wonderful God's character is. It reminds you that there is a hope and the light and the beauty to this world that God has created. Immerse yourself in beauty, immersion. Oftentimes, we are shaped by what we marinate ourselves in. Do you marinate yourself in godly beauty? Or do you tend to marinate yourself more often in the kind of beauty that society has told you what is beautiful? That your, maybe your own um, fleshly nature has told you what is attractive or beautiful. Well, Paul, the apostle, takes another brazen step forward as we go into step two in our journey of discovering and encountering beauty. 
He says in the first part of verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Okay, so first he gives you a definition of beauty. Then he turns himself and says, what you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. He turns himself, he highlights himself, and he basically points to himself as the model of the beauty that he just described. You've just learned, received this, heard this, and seen this in me. It's kind of like those commercials where um, you're, you're watching these like uh, skincare commercials. Don't ask me why I watch skincare commercials you know, late at night. You watch these skincare commercials, they're giving you, they're, they're talking about this product and, and what, this, what this product does for you, and then they have a model. They say, look at my skin. How perfect it is. This is Paul. Paul's doing the catwalk for you. He's saying, here's the six qualities and look at me. You've seen me. You've heard me. You've received this from me. And what Paul does is very profound. He says that these qualities are not just intangible, abstract qualities. He says they are embraced, manifested, and portrayed tangibly in who he is. He says, here's a model for it. If it's hard for you to grasp what is pure, if it's hard for you to grasp what is honorable, look, I've been embracing this. I've been pursuing this. It's in me. And he does it unabashedly. He does it unashamedly, without embarrassment. Uh, You've seen how good Paul looks, he says to the Philippians, right? He uses himself as a model. And what he creates here is an important principle, that our society is always looking for models. That's why stories of heroes will never go away. It's been around for civilizations, for years, for millennia, from mythologies to award-winning films today, you always have heroes. Why? Because society is always looking for models. And that model is in, it's essential because it's like Aristotle would say, he says, according to his theory of mimesis, that from early young years as a child, we learn and grow by imitating models. That's having a model in our lives, in the forefront of our minds and our conscience, having that model is necessary for us to grow and change. It's part of our discipleship. And so when Paul says, look at me, he's not being arrogant. He's saying, this is part of your growth. This is part of what is needed for your development and your discipleship. Because these these ideas can be very abstract, but look how I manifested them as I have done in myself. Now, there's no person who does it perfectly, but to some extent, Paul has embraced it in his own life. So if you want to know um, what is beautiful hair, you might look to Jennifer Aniston. If you want to know what is a a rock-hard masculine body, maybe it's Gerard Butler. If you want to know what it is like to to be real sexy driving a Lincoln car, you look to Matthew McConaughey. But if you want to know what is godly beauty with these six essentials, Paul says you look to Paul. Paul has exhibited this in himself. And what's important about this is he illustrates the need for a model. So the second action step for us when we encounter beauty is imitation. We go from immersion, dwelling on it, mentally experiencing it, to imitation, where we look for a model. If you don't have a model, I would encourage you to find one. Because likely, if you don't have a model at at the forefront of your mind, your mind has already unconsciously chosen a model. You're imitating somebody out there, some virtue, some aspect, some element of them, even if it's not the entirety of them. And here's what's powerful about Paul. Here's where his humility is when he talks about imitation. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, for him, he says he's not the end goal. He doesn't want a whole bunch of, you know, lemmings. You guys know lemmings? You know, who just follow him around. You know, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for Christ followers. 
He says, imitate me because I imitate Christ. And ultimately, what you're aiming to get in yourself is not to be more Paul-like, is to be more Christ-like. Is that you're embracing the ultimate beauty, which is the beauty of Christ. And finally, what is the last step in this three-step journey of beauty? Philippians 4, 9, and the last half of that verse, he says, practice these things. Or simply put, do these things. The last step is incarnation. We go from immersion to imitation to incarnation. Beauty is not something to just experience and enjoy. It's not something just to observe in your model. It is something for you to embrace within yourself. It is something for you to be able to take on in yourself so that you are now becoming the person of beauty. You become a more beautiful person rather than just a spectator or an audience. And too often in the Christian life are we spectators of God's greatness, of God's good things, and not embracing those very qualities and exhibiting them in our own lives and selves. Paul says, don't just look at me. Now you go and do these things. Look at him only to understand these six qualities as they are manifested. Now you embrace them. You take it on in yourself and become a maker of beauty. If there's one thing that people desire in this world, is they desire a level of becoming more beautiful. And here's what it means to become more beautiful according to God's paradigm of beauty. What is it that you find beautiful? Um, Is that being embraced in you? And when you do this, then you complete a full circle. Because once you embrace these qualities in yourself, then you become the model for somebody else. You now become the person who is exhibiting these six essential qualities of beauty. Beauty then is both a destination and also a present reality in varying degrees. None of us are perfect, but we can be furious in pursuing being a more beautiful person in Christ. We can strive passionately to immerse ourselves in God's beauty. We can imitate after models of that, that model for us God's beauty, and we can incarnate these very godly virtues of beauty. So if we look to, at these six qualities of beauty, what will be one that rises to the surface for you? That you feel like this, there's something that you need most. Um, oftentimes, maybe we've been, we've been so saturated with societal expectations of what it means for me to be an attractive person. And we've ignored the genuinely attractive qualities that God finds and defines to be beautiful. You know, you ever have those moments where you look in the mirror? And I'm not just talking about you looking in the mirror to like brush your hair or tweeze your eyebrows or trim your nose hairs, you know? Not those kind of moments. It's the moments where you just look in the mirror and you think, who am I? What is my life about? Do I like what I see? I have those moments once in a while when I look at myself. You know, it's not to check out the zit that came up, but it's to look inside myself and to see what kind of a person, what kind of a man am I? And if you look within yourself, do you see a beauty that you desire, that you believe is lacking in your life, where there's a fragmentation to who you are and to your soul and to your character Uh, that you know you desperately need and you need to work on as an act of faith, but you need also the Holy Spirit to fashion it in you at the same time. You know, um, one of the important things about beauty, oftentimes when we think about beauty, we think what's important about it is we're judging the object. What's really important about beauty and what we think about beauty is what it says about us. See, I used to like this girl before I marry my wife. I don't think my wife likes her too much. 
but I used to like this girl. <laughs> Met her in college, <laughs> and, um, and I graduated from college. And and you know she she had a lot of certain I want to you know this is not being recorded, right? Okay. Because she's, she's Asian, I know our Asian community is kind of tight, you know. But she had a lot of, you know, like certain issues, and I was always kind of just like there for her, but I kind of became sort of like the unloading basket, where she just unloads everything onto me. You know, I spent hours listening to her, just kind of being her shoulder to cry on. We weren't even dating. She knew I liked her, but we weren't even dating, and she was kind of in and out with this other guy, you know, on the other side. So it was all messed up, you know. It was like Bachelor all over, you know. So, but here I was, like, her shoulder to cry on. I was getting beaten up all the time, you know, and she didn't treat me very nicely, you know. It's it just, like, a lot of drama, and, and, and I didn't like being treated that way. I didn't like being used. I didn't like, you know, just kind of, you know, being shafted all the time. And so I was a social worker at the time after I had graduated from, from college. <clears throat> and I, I go in the, to work the next day after having an evening of just, you know, beaten up by her. And, and I, I'm talking to my supervisor. And, um, and I, I just unload on her because, you know, because that's what we social workers do. Half the time we work, and the other half the time we process. So I'm just processing <laughs> with her. And... Uh, and I'm expecting her to validate my feelings because that's what counselors are supposed to do. You're supposed to validate my feeling. Oh, I understand. You know, you're supposed to affirm me. Oh, you're okay. You know, you're supposed to. But she doesn't give me any validation, no affirmation. She only asks me this one question. She says, "Brian, what is it about you that makes you attracted to someone like her?" And I thought, "Why are you turning this on me? Come on!" <laughs> and, but I just that just stuck with me, and I weighed on me, and I start to think. What is my basis of attraction? <coughs> Why do I find certain things attractive? It says something about us. <coughs> it says something about the rubric and the paradigm that we operate under. I want to invite us to think about these six qualities <coughs> and these six essentials. <coughs> and what is it that is missing in your own heart, in your own soul, in your own character? During the communion time, if you would like, there's a creative response station that I and my, part of my, my team who are in ministry with me have set up for you. There's six color sheets. Each of them represent one of these six essential qualities. And what you're invited to do as part of your commun act of communion is to approach the table if you'd like to do this. You approach the table and take off a piece of one of those sheets that represents the quality that you believe you are missing. Um, take off just a morsel of it as a representation. I promise not to spill this. Um, and take it as an act of faith and of prayer. And if you would like any of the folks that are facilitating this response station to pray with you, you can walk up to one of the three of them and just ask, can you pray for me? You know, and they will. They'll offer you prayer. And let that fragment be a reminder to you as an act of faith that you desire this element, this level of beauty that represents godly beauty in yourself. And then use that as part of your journey and path to the Lord's table. Um, if you choose not to, there's a communion elements also, um, both here and in the back that you can take. But that's a opportunity that we want to create an avenue for you to respond faithfully in a creative way. And then in your step of faith towards beauty, um, as you take that step, um, strive towards reflecting the beauty of God more so in your life. 
that you might represent the beauty of Christ to the world, impact someone else's life by that beauty, and build God's kingdom through who you are, that people might find you to be a delight to be around, and they might not know why. They might find that, gosh, when I'm around you, you inspire me to be a better person, and they don't really know why, but they're experiencing something very tangible and aesthetic that God has formed and fashioned into you as an act of beauty that reflects his beauty. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord God, for the beauty that you exhibit in yourself that overwhelms us, that draws us near to you so that when we are in the presence of your beauty, it is hard for us to simply be able to stand, but we find ourselves kneeling and falling prostrate before you because it overwhelms us. We thank you, Father God, for your kindness and your goodness to us that allows us to experience this richness of beauty in you. We pray, Father God, that as you work your, your work of redemption in each of our lives, that we become more Christ-like, that we become more attractive to other people in the world because of the beauty of Christ in us, that we become someone that you look upon and think, wow, there's my beautiful child, my son, my daughter. We pray, God, that you will work fervently in us through our brokenness, work in us to weed out the ugliness in us, rewrite the paradigm in our minds of what we find to be beautiful and what we found to be attractive, and let us now embrace a new way of thinking according to the new man, the new woman in us that finds beauty according to your truths, your paradigm, that we might be motivated to act upon and to choose those things that we have now newly found attractive because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.